I felt that there was a good atmosphere and I had this terrible thing that I want to entertain people which is of course nothing I should do because I'm not a professional. And I had the feeling that I was... It's 1956. John Ford releases The Searchers, one of the most iconic westerns ever made. The sci-fi Forbidden Planet stars a young Leslie Nielsen in a serious role. George Stevens' Giant will be James Dean's final film. A boy is born in the Danish city of Kongnens Lingby. His parents are nudists and the boy will spend several childhood holidays in nudist camps. There isn't much room for religion in the house growing up and his parents reportedly discourage feelings and enjoyment. There are no rules set for him because his parents regard the disciplining of children as backward. He gets his first Super 8 camera at the age of seven and begins making films immediately. In 1979, he enrolls in the National Film School of Denmark, where his colleagues add the German indication of nobility, von, to prefix his last name, a nickname that perhaps suggests a certain arrogance in the young man. Tutors at his film school think he's an egotist without talent. Shortly before she dies, his mother reveals that his father wasn't his biological father. He had been conceived during an affair that she'd had with a German man. The young filmmaker suffers from multiple phobias and occasional depression. He becomes a director of extraordinary note. He wins the Palme d'Or at Cannes Film Festival and then years later is banned from Cannes because of comments he made regarding sympathising with Hitler. I'm talking about Lars von Trier. I was always the boss on set. I sort of appear democratic, but I'm not. It's 1969. Easy Rider is changing the world of film forever. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid is a box office smash, cementing Paul Newman and Robert Redford as one of the greatest on-screen duos of all time. Midnight Cowboy is the only X-rated film to take home the best picture at the Academy Awards. A boy is born in Copenhagen, Denmark. His father is a film critic, and when he's seven years old, his parents decide to move the family into a commune with other families, living an optimistic, free-spirited lifestyle. He's a handsome guy. He graduates from the National Film School of Denmark in 1993, and his final year film, Last Round, wins the Jury and Producers Award at the Munich International Festival of Film Schools. Three years after graduating, he would make his first feature film. His name is Thomas Winterberg. Lars von Trier and Thomas Winterberg are the fathers of Dogma 95. Does it seem counterintuitive to apply strict rules to art? Well, it depends on your definition of art. A lot of art is governed by rules. If you bang your hands down on the keys of a piano, well, that's not art to me. It might be to some people because art has sort of been warped into a term that could be used to describe anything. That's what allowed Italian artist Piero Manzoni to sell tins filled with his own feces back in 1961. But you need components of musical theory to create a song, whether you know them or not. You need skill to paint a masterpiece. Otherwise, who's to say what goes up on the walls at the Museum of Modern Art and what doesn't? So, some would say art has rules. And there are rules in filmmaking too. 
But in 1995, Lars von Trier and Thomas Vinterberg sat down to completely rewrite the rulebook. Von Trier was already quite an established filmmaker in international cinema. He was particularly popular at Cannes Film Festival, where his films had been winning awards since as far back as 1984. Vinterberg was 13 years his junior, and he'd found some success, particularly in Denmark, but it was von Trier's involvement that gave what they were about to do enough clout for it to be noticed by the rest of the world. Von Trier called up Vinterberg and asked him if he, I quote, wanted to start a new wave. He wanted to create filmmaking rules based on what he saw as the traditional values of story, acting and theme, doing away with the elaborate special effects and modern film technology. The whole idea was to give artistic power back to the director as opposed to the studio. One evening, Von Trier and Vinterberg sat down and wrote the Dogma 95 Manifesto in just 45 minutes. The manifesto is also sometimes rather theatrically referred to as the vow of chastity. And here it is. I swear to submit the following set of rules drawn up and confirmed by Dogma 95. Shooting must be done on location. Props and sets must not be brought in. If a particular prop is necessary for the story, a location must be chosen where this prop is to be found. The sound must never be produced apart from the images or vice versa. Music must not be used unless it occurs where the scene is being shot. The camera must be handheld. Any movement or immobility attainable in the hand is permitted. The film must be in colour. Special lighting is not acceptable. If there is too little light for exposure, the scene must be cut or a single lamp be attached to the camera. Optical work and filters are forbidden. The film must not contain superficial action. Murders, weapons, etc. must not occur. Temporal and geographical alienation are forbidden. That is to say that the film takes place here and now. Genre movies are not acceptable. The film format must be Academy 35mm. The director must not be credited. Furthermore, I swear as a director to refrain from personal taste. I am no longer an artist. I swear to refrain from creating a work as I regard the instant as more important than the whole. My supreme goal is to force the truth out of my characters and settings. I swear to do so by all the means available and at the cost of any good taste and any aesthetic considerations. Thus, I make my vow of chastity. Copenhagen, Monday, 13th of March, 1995, on behalf of Dogma 95. Lars von Trier, Thomas Vinterberg. Now, it's worth mentioning that dogma is also often talked about in connection with two elements that are not discussed in the manifesto, low budgets and digital filmmaking. The rules don't lay out any regulations regarding budget or digital filmmaking, but dogma films have generally adhered to very small budgets and are usually shot digitally. These are rough films, and that's one of the reasons that the movement was met with such resistance. The dogma films didn't look like the films that were made by professional directors. They looked and sounded like crummy home movies. Von Trier and Vinterberg announced the dogma movement on March 13, 1995, in Paris, at a conference with a long French name that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. But the purpose of the conference was to celebrate the first century of motion pictures and to discuss the future of commercial cinema. When Von Trier was called up to talk on the future of film, he showered a bewildered audience with red pamphlets with the big title, Dogma 95. Here's a quote from an article from Cosmorama by Peter Chappellan. 
Tria talked about the dogma concept back in 1992 when they started the film company Zentropa together. Tria had early plans for a book on filmmaking with the title Dogma. He liked this word with its element of a truth that could not be questioned and the word felt good in the mouth. Now when I first began to hear about the dogma movement and began to watch dogma films, my initial reaction was how pretentious it all seemed. There's still a part of me that feels that way. Von Trier is a pretty interesting guy and not all of what makes him interesting is positive. This is the man with the word fuck tattooed across his fingers who got banned from the Cannes Film Festival for suggesting that he sympathised with Hitler. What can I say? Um, I, I understand Hitler. But... Uh... As he floundered, his stars squirmed, Kirsten Dunst eventually desperately trying to stop him. But he wouldn't. I can see him sitting in, a, in his bunker in the end. <laughs> I think perhaps his comments weren't taken as intended, but nonetheless this is a man with an extreme method of approaching both his life and his work. The Dogma 95 movement is easy to pick on because of how radical it is, and perhaps because of the theatricality of signing this manifesto and taking this vow of chastity, and also because of the drastically lo-fi nature of the films, aesthetically speaking. On top of that, the manifesto was apparently composed by Von Trier and Winterberg after a night of serious drinking. After Von Trier made his announcement at that conference and handed out those red flyers, both him and Winterberg drew a lot of criticism and a lot of outrage. Some people called the whole thing a publicity stunt. But to dismiss Dogma 95 as filmmakers trying to get noticed would mean missing what's attractive about the movement. In response to that criticism, both men reasonably, I think, stated that they wanted to create a new extreme. No one had challenged cinematic language so assertively since the beginning of the French New Wave. That was about 40 years before. Von Trier said of the manifesto, In a business of extremely high budgets, we figured we should balance the dynamic as much as possible. That's not so bad, is it? Filmmaking is an expensive art and studio filmmaking comes with enormous complications and studio interference. The Dogma 95 movement gave new filmmakers an opportunity to create work outside of that complicated system that could be then be part of this movement that an internationally established and respected filmmaker, Von Trier, had endorsed. For many, Dogma was one of the most exciting things to hit cinema in decades. Here's another quote from film critic Christian Mongard. I was sitting in Cannes, watching those films and thinking, this is fantastic. This is what it must have been like to sit in Paris in the early 60s watching the first films by Goddard and Truffaut. Finally, films are talking to me about the kind of experiences that happen in my life. Now, there were two other figures that became linked to the Dogma 95 Manifesto. Two more Danish filmmakers, Christian Levering and Soren Krag Jacobsen. You know, apologise for the pronunciation. They signed the manifesto and together with Winterberg and Von Trier, they were known as the Dogma 95 Collective, or the Dogma Brethren. The Brethren actually approached several well-known filmmakers, including Andre Vadja, Akira Kurosawa, Ingmar Bergman, and even Steven Spielberg, inviting them to join the movement. They all declined. Kurosawa died while the invitation was in the mail, but a Kurosawa samurai film that adheres to the Dogma rules is a wonderful thing to imagine. It took a while for Dogma to take off. In fact, if Dogma hadn't managed to have a strong presence at the world's premier film festival, it might have remained a local hobby for a few Danish filmmakers. The first Dogma film was Vinterberg's Festen. Vinterberg went first because he was the youngest, and Festen got great reviews and won a heap of awards, including the jury prize at Cannes. 
and then Von Trier released The Idiots. Feston was officially labelled Dogma number one, The Idiots was Dogma number two. Critic Mark Commode famously shouted, It is shit! from the back of the cinema at the screening of The Idiots at that year's Cannes Film Festival. And I'm inclined to agree with him. Then Dogma began issuing certificates to projects that adhered to the vow of chastity. Directors of those films that strayed a little from the rules, as most of them, including Von Trier and Vinterberg, did, made public confessions on the Dogma website. This is Von Trier's confession to elements of the idiot that were not in accordance with the Dogma 95 rules. In relation to the production of Dogma 2, The Idiots, I confess to have used a stand-in, in one case only, the sexual intercourse scene, to have organised payment of cash to the actors for shopping of accessories, food, to have intervened with the location by moving sources of light, candlelight, to achieve exposure, to have been aware of the fact that the production had entered into an agreement of leasing a car without the knowledge of the involved actor. All in all, and apart from the above, I feel to have lived up to the intentions and rules of the manifesto, Dogma 95. Over 30 films received certification from the Dogma Brethren, including Lone Scherfig's Italian for Beginners and Harmony Corinne's Julian Donkey Boy. Von Trier was enthusiastic for Dogma to be an international movement, but also wanted to ensure that it maintained its strongest ties with Denmark. Danish cinema had never had much of an international presence, save arguably for a brief golden period in the silent era. Dogma pushed film in Denmark to the world stage. It continues to draw attention to Danish cinema to this day. Here's another quote from Von Trier. We have followers in France, Sweden and Poland, but we have made it a condition that we are the first to produce, since the concept must appear to be Danish. On New Year's Eve in 2000, each of the four main Dogma directors shot a live film, which was then broadcast on a different television channel. The viewers were encouraged to switch between the films, essentially creating their own Dogma 95 movie. One third of the Danish population tuned in. How amazing is that? It's pretty rare that a single country's film culture, outside maybe America and India, can generate that sort of enthusiasm. Festen and the Idiots received a lot of positive attention, but after the first two Dogma films, there was a sense of anticlimax. Critical reception to other certified Dogma works were mixed, and enthusiasm for the movement began to dwindle. The honeymoon period, also aided perhaps by the enormous success of The Blair Witch Project, a film that had a lot of aesthetic similarities to Dogma, had ended. In 2005, Dogma was emancipated in a statement signed by the four members of the Dogma Brethren. They moved on. Vinterberg made a string of unsuccessful arthouse films until The Hunt in 2013 pushed him back onto the international stage. Von Trier, the most famous of the Dogma directors, still makes films that push the boundaries of rules and expectations. That signed statement in 2005 read, From now on, the certificate, along with the manifesto and the vow of chastity, will be available on the internet for anybody who wishes to make a Dogma film. Whether the result is a Dogma film will be up to its maker and his or her conscience. Dogma was a reminder of the opportunity and potential of doing away with technological preconceptions. It was simplification, purification, a rejection of flashy techniques over stylistic abstinence. It was a protest against the establishment. It's been dismissed as a publicity stunt and hailed as one of the most important events in European film history. 
It hasn't had a permanent or critical influence on the world of film. Technical perfection is far too appealing, and that's understandable. By and large, it makes for a more pleasant experience when a film looks and sounds good. Whatever the case, and whatever it was, for one short-lived but shining moment, dogma was the word on everybody's lips that announced a new approach to filmmaking and propelled Danish cinema into the international spotlight for a brief but shining moment. It was always meant to be a wave, noted Vinderberg, and they don't go on forever. John Roebuck's Film School, or My Film School, is brought to you by realgood.com.au. There are other episodes of this podcast, and they're the best. Check them out at Real Good, or on the iTunes Store. See you next time.